What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murder. everybody to part two of Robert Hansen. Before we get started on that, a little bit of business. Um, if you haven't checked out our other podcasts, you definitely should. Speaking of missing persons and speaking of hauntings. And uh, if you want to send in any kind of case suggestions or anything like that, check out any pictures from this episode or any of the other episodes. Um, you can send in suggestions to our email, missingmurderedhaunted at gmail.com. Or you can check out the photos at uh, on Instagram at Missing Murdered Haunted. So now that that's out of the way, Sarah, let's let's hear part two. Okay, I will give you part two. All right. So we left off where he got arrested, right? And you guys got mad because he said you can't rape a prostitute, can you? Yeah. Yeah, which is dumb. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. So then, so we're at the point where he's, you know, arrested and they want to search his house, his car, his plane. He actually gives them permission to search his stuff. And he, like I said in the last episode, he had waived his right to a lawyer. So. So hold on, though. He didn't he say that part of his whole alibi thing was that he had taken the seat out of the plane? To fix it at his buddy's house? Yes. And both of the people he used as alibis, they corroborated it. They said yes, that he was telling the truth. Seriously? Yeah. Okay. So. How much did he pay them? (laughs) Right. I mean. He didn't pay them anything. They just assumed that he, whatever he was doing that night, that it wasn't raping and Trying to murder. Trying to murder a girl because they just didn't think he was that type of person. I'd be looking at that airplane seat like, where, where's the repair? I don't see a fresh repair on this one. <laughs> well, he, when they searched his plane, they found nothing. Absolutely nothing. In his house, they uh, found stuff in the basement, really. They f- first of all, it was exactly like Cindy had described it. Like so she, she was obviously there. She was obviously there. But that doesn't really prove anything except that at some point she was there to know how exactly how it was set up and what was down there. Um, they found hidden compartments in the walls containing multiple firearms, but none matched the gun that Cindy had described. In the garage, they found, like, animal traps with chains attached to them, and they did find a padlock just laying on the floor. And they also saw equipment for you to reload your own cartridges. Okay, but for a hunter, that's not yeah, really I was gonna weird. Say, exactly. That's not really a strange thing. 
And in his car, though, they found rifle cartridges, ace bandage, and a pair of surgical gloves. The ace bandage would should have been a big deal to them because that was wrapped around the, the body of Sherry Morrow. It was on wrapped around her head. Isn't it was that, ace bandage? That's the girl that they found a year before this. Right. Or the two cops did when they were out doing whatever, yeah. hunting, fishing, right. whatever it was. But at the time, I guess, they didn't put two and two together. So at the police station, they ran his police report. But again, at that time, the Anchorage Police Department's computer system was being updated to a new system. So the only thing that showed up on his uh, record was the time when he stole a chainsaw from a department store in 1975. Fucking system updates, man. Always at the most inconvenient time. Right. Or convenient. It depends on who you are, which end you're on. Yeah. (laughs) If you're the criminal, like, great system updates. But for the rest of the world, fuck this guy. Right. So pretty much it made him look better obviously because he doesn't have to that they can see they don't see anything on his record that would lean towards he assaults women so on june 14th cindy picked hansen out of a photo lineup without hesitation obviously yeah i mean she's she's got this guy's face burned into her mind after going through that but even with that The case against him hit a dead end because, like I said, they spoke to the two men that he used as alibis and they corroborated it. So because of that, it made a it made it a big deal. Like he has an alibi. Right. So the police were like pretty much there's no way a jury is going to believe Cindy because she's a prostitute over Hansen, who owns his own bakery, is married with kids, he's pr- a prominent member of society. And he had these two other men and he, vouch for him. And these two other men were also prominent men in this, the community. They had their own businesses as well. So because of this, they started treating Cindy bad. The police were, like, claiming she was lying. And they tried to get her to take a lie detector test. Seriously? Yeah. And she refused. I don't blame her. She would not do it. Yeah, I don't blame her at all. Like, that's just like a slap in the face. Like, you're you're telling them all this information. You're finding corroborating facts. And then because of this guy's social status and the social status of his buddies... Yeah. Right. Now, get the hell out of here with that crap. They, like, so because she refused to take the lie detector test, they literally, when they searched his stuff, even the things that they did find, they didn't seize anything. They seized no evidence. They took no pictures. They pretty much said it was a... His word against hers kind of a deal. It sounds like they didn't do their jobs right. That is such a load of horse shit. They did present the case to the DA's office, though, and the DA 
did the same thing. They the DA rejected it. They were like, "There's no way a jury is going to believe this girl over this guy." But Maxine Farrell, we talked about her a little bit in the first part. She's a detective, and she was oh. the one who kind of noticed the pattern yeah, of yeah. these girls going missing. Mm-hmm. She decided before they just filed Cindy's case away, and it just became a you know a distant memory a distant memory that she was going to pass along the information to the Alaskan state troopers because they were the ones working Sherry Morrow's case. Oh. So she kind of had this like feeling like maybe he has something to do with this, so I'm going to give it to the state troopers. Good. So if it wasn't for her, he probably They would have just filed it away and he would have gotten away with it for a while for doing what he did to Cindy yeah women looking after women right there so on September 2nd of 1983 another body was found not far from where Sherry's body was found this woman was wearing jeans that were unbuttoned and zipped they weren't zipped her sweater and bra were cut in half she had tan boots on There was no identification or jewelry on the body or the surrounding area. Now, when you say cut in half, did they specify anything about that? Like knife, scissors? They didn't. Anything like that? But I will tell you, the wounds that they had on their actual bodies, they did not have bullet holes in their clothes. So they were killed and then dressed. Okay, so they all had bullet holes. But none of them were through the clothes. Right. That's strange. So he pretty much, I'm just going to lay it out there. He pretty much would take them in the middle of nowhere, let them go naked, sometimes blindfolded. Sometimes he would block, figure out a way to block them from being able to hear and pretty much hunt them down in the freezing cold. And once he would shoot them or whatever, then he would redress them. So he was treating them like game. Yeah, he was hunting them like they were animals. So at this crime scene, it was the same deal. She was in a shallow grave. They found a two-two-three caliber shell casing near her body. Both shell casings were sent to the FBI lab to see if they were fired from the same gun. And it was determined during the autopsy that this female was like in her late 20s to early 30s. And she had been killed by a single shot that penetrated her heart. Like it was one shot through the heart. Jesus. The body was hard for them to identify because of decomposition. They did have an intact jawbone. And, but it didn't really help them because it's not like at, there wasn't a database for dental records Mm -hmm. on these hundreds of missing women that are in Alaska. Right. So you would have to hope that A, they had dental work done in Alaska and B, you can find the dentist who did it before you could identify Right. And if there's nothing special about their dental work, it's like a needle in a haystack. Right. So at this point in time, a 
sergeant named Glenn Flothy took over the case because the original guy who took who was in charge of Sherry Morrow's case, he was on leave when they found the second body. And so Glenn took over. And I will say he is a really good cop. Nice. The first thing he did was try to find a pattern between the missing women because he knew these were not the only two victims. Like, in his mind, he's like, there's no way. There's no way that there's only two that were killed so similarly to each other. Right. He knew that there was a serial killer. So, at first, he narrowed down this list of 100 missing women to seven women that had the same pattern with how they disappeared. Uh, The women on his list not only had similar features, at one point between... They had been either sex, they grouped them in as all just sex workers, even though I think that's kind of wrong because not all exotic dancers are having sex with men. But instead, I mean, I get it to an extent, but they had all either been exotic dancers or been prostitutes. Mm -hmm. Um. They were all from the Anchorage area. They all had made a date with a man before they went missing. And this date involved them doing some kind of service for a couple hundred dollars. It was always between two and three hundred dollars. But it wasn't always the same service. It was like weird things like a photo shoot or just having a date with me or whatever. But like with Cindy, he used he said give me a blowjob for $200 Glenn also read over Cindy's case and he believed her accounts from the day she was abducted like he 100% believed her and he had actually recently watched a documentary on Ted Bundy and he kind of found the similarities between Cindy and the girl who kind of helped take down ted bundy right and so in his mind cindy was like it he's like i think she's she was the key to the puzzle right so he wanted to speak to her directly because to him i literally wrote that she was the key to putting robert hansen behind bars the problem was he had to find her because she's a prostitute in anchorage and well, it's I mean, not going to be the easiest thing to just find her. If she's even still there. Even Yeah, exactly. And that's what might, he was... Like you were saying, might have gone to somewhere else on the, on the pipeline or whatever, like uh, California or anywhere on the East Coast or even gone back home. Right. And that's what he th- like was scared of, is that because of how the Anchorage police treated her, he thought that she might have just... Left. left yeah skip town i wouldn't have blamed her for doing so oh, no <laughs> so while he was trying to find cindy he pretty much decided he was going to get any information he could about hansen like he wanted to know him inside and out so while talking to another officer in the state troopers Glenn found out that the arrest record for Hansen was wrong. He 
this other officer remembered Hansen being arrested for an assault charge to a woman in 1971. And he told Glenn that while Hansen was waiting for his trial on that assault charge, he was out on bond, which his bond was nothing. Like, like $50 or no, something? No, nothing. Like it was zero. Oh, you mean literally? It was zero. For the assault charge, he didn't have to pay anything. He was let out on bond without paying anything. That's weird. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. That is strange. Yeah. Well, in that time he was out on bond, he kidnapped another woman who got away from him. Seriously? He's very sloppy for <laughs> yeah. wanting to make a, a consistent hobby of this. Like <laughs> Hobby? I, I mean, mean, that's technically uh, what it's called when you hunt people for, like... I guess. I don't know. It's, this it's just a, feels like a... That's what they would call it anyway. Well, I feel that's kind of the way that he's viewing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, almost like he was bored with... Cause to I mean, him, it's like hunting regular game. You know, that is a hobby. You're, you're killing for sport. Yeah, isn't there like, actually a movie God, about this? The most so... dangerous game yeah. isn't. Yeah, there's a movie that where they just drag there's, people to really? an island that, and just release them. The most dangerous game is a fictional movie that was made that had nothing to do with Robert Hansen, but it's the same deal. It's about a rich yeah. guy who's bored in life, and he invites, it's not just women, he invites people to his island, and he gives them three days to... Run. Run, and if they can survive for three days, then he lets them go. Mm -hmm. And if they don't survive, then he, I mean, obviously... So he had killed like them. the pest with John Leguizamo? I don't know. Nothing? No. No. Never seen it. It's been a long time. Oh, shame on you. But at the same time, there is also a movie that I don't know off the top of my head that was made about Robert Hansen that has, like, John Cusack in it and Nicolas Cage and... Oh, yeah. I John Cusack plays Robert Hansen. Yes. I need to watch that movie. <laughs> so anyway, he... For the kidnapping charge, so pretty much what happened with this whole assault and kidnapping thing is the DA told Hansen they would drop the kidnapping charge on this girl who got away if he pleaded no contest to the assault. So they wanted him more for the assault than Damn. they did the kidnapping because the assault was on a normal, everyday girl. She was a receptionist and had like a husband and family and the girl that he kidnapped was a prostitute of course of course oh. it's killing me that not only does he view them as lesser human beings because of their profession but also the the entire justice system is viewing them as not real people because of their profession yeah which is so fucked up agreed so in the end, he barely served any time for either one of these crimes. Like, barely any. This made Glenn think Hansen was his guy even more. The other officer knew Hansen was capable of this because he had spent, like, intimate time with this prostitute that he had 
kidnapped back then. It was like 12 years before. She had actually told him her story. And it was kind of a messed up situation because this girl, her name was Robert Robin Patterson. She, her father was a deputy sheriff. Oh, oh damn. shit. But she was a prostitute. And like, I think a drug addict. But Hanson had picked Robin up, offering her a couple hundred dollars for sex. When she got into his car, he did the same thing he did to Cindy. He tied her up, raped her, and was going to kill her. But not in the way he had killed Sherry Morrow and this other victim. He was going to just take her in the middle of nowhere and leave her there naked to freeze to death. Guys, a piece of work. Somehow, she convinced him that she hated cops and would not tell anyone and was like, you know, look, I'm a prostitute. Like, I don't want anything to do with cops. So at the last minute, he changed his mind and took her back into town and literally said to her, like, I wish we would have met under different circumstances because I like you. What? Yeah. Like, yeah. But here's the kicker, though. I'm at a loss of words because this is just unreal. But here's the, the even bigger kicker here, okay? Because at the time, he told her to write down, I guess she had said to him, let me write down my name and my address or whatever, and if I go to the cops, then you'll know where to find me and whatever, because she was just trying to save her own life. And he said, no, write down your parents' name and address, and if you go to the cops, I'm going to go kill them. And she did because she just, you know, was trying to save her own life. Well, when he got arrested for that, the cops that were like searching him and searching his stuff, he's like standing there watching them like go through his wallet. And this piece of paper falls out of his wallet with her family's information on it. And Robert Hansen just picks it up and sticks it in his back pocket. And they're like, we need that. Like, what are you doing? And he tells them oh, it's a phone number and stuff that I need to be able to call so I can get out of here. And the cop is like, well, I at least need to make a copy of it. But like a fucking dumbass, he gives Robert Hansen back the original piece of paper instead of the copy. And then they don't like file it and shit because they're like, we didn't have a search warrant to take this out of his wallet. That's another reason why they couldn't get him on the kidnapping charge is because, again, they claimed it was her word against his. Right. Oh, and my this God. guy's exploiting legal loopholes. Yeah. But he, like, literally had the evidence in his wallet that he took her parents' name and f- address and phone number. The only reason that this girl actually came forward, though, is... Because at first she wasn't going to because she believed he would go kill her parents. Well, yeah. But she came forward because another girl in the area went missing and her body was found in a remote location. She was naked with her breast slashed, not like superficially, not deep. It was like superficial cuts. And police had said at the time that they believed the girl had gotten away from her abductor because her body was found, like, in a bush 
like she had been hiding. And so that girl was like, oh, shit. Like, that's exactly what he told me he was going to do to me is just drop me off in the middle of nowhere and I would just die from the elements. So that's why she came forward against him is because she's like, he had to have killed this girl. Right. And she didn't want that on her conscience that she knew that. And this cop that she came forward to believed that he did, but there was nothing linking him to it. Well, yeah, because of all of this legal... You know, stuff with the fucking records not showing up and them not keeping evidence and basically helping him make everything appear as if it's his word against hers. Yeah. And so that was like another thing he got away with, with just like a slap on the wrist. The receptionist girl that he went after, he, I guess she had come into his bakery and was a customer and he thought she was pretty. So he followed her home. Went to her door, claiming that he needed to use her phone, and she let him. He asked her on a date. She said no, like, I'm married, or whatever. He left. And then a week later, comes back and tries to abduct her while she's getting in her car. So he had been watching her for a week to figure out her routine and tries to abduct her while she's getting in her car to go to work that morning. And he got caught because she screamed bloody murder. And people in a lady in her apartment complex looked out the window and saw what was happening and called the police. See, and that that's some of the dumbest shit. Fucking this asshole can't even stick to his own guidelines. Right. Like she well, that was turned at him the down. Beginning. She's married. And, you know, I don't know. Was he Mm. married at the time? Was that before he was married? No, he was married. He was married to Darla at the time. And during that whole thing, he only was in actual jail for a small amount of time. Three months. He was in jail for like three months. And then he they put him in a halfway house for 20 months. So he could pretty much come and go as he wanted to. And... He also, in like 1975, I think, he got in trouble for the larceny charge of stealing a saw, and he did it for no fucking reason other than he wanted to see if he could get away with it. But to the police, he said he gave this big long story about how he wanted to give this saw to his dad for Christmas and... He doesn't know why he didn't just pay for it. He the, he just picked it up, and the next thing he knew, he was walking outside with it. What? And he got five years in jail for that. Really? So think about that. So this he dude... gets three months for attempting to Well, abduct... he got more than three months, but he only had to spend three months in actual jail. He The rest of his sentence, which was 20 months total, he got 20 months for trying to abduct two people. But he walked one of out which of the he raped. with a saw. And gets five years. Yeah, but here's the thing. He only served 16 months of that because he appealed the Supreme Court. And they were like, yeah, that's an obscene amount of time for larceny. And let him go with time served. Yeah, but that's still more uh, a larger sentence and more time served than a kidnapping slash rape charge. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's insane. So And Darla was still just sticking around through this, huh? Yes. 
she was being a supportive wife. Now, is she oh actually aware of what's happening, or is, is she, like, in the dark? Is he lying to her? And He's saying, lying to her. Oh, you know, I uh, tripped and accidentally punched a kid in the face, and they gave me an assault charge. It was a total accident, and they don't believe me. Yeah, he's totally lying to her about everything and playing the victim card, the woe is me, and doing things like... They just keep picking on me. I'm at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and doing, Always. Thi- doing things like, don't even bring the kids to see me because I don't want them to see me this way, and Drama blah, queen. blah, blah, and, you know, like... So, yeah, he's a big piece of shit. So... Is he the drama? He's the drama. Most definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, Glenn got all of his records, even all the way back to when he set the school bus garage on fire. Oh, wait, I forgot he did that. Yeah. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. (laughs) And he also received psychiatrist reports. For from him because that was another thing they were doing is like oh you can have a shorter sentence blah 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 if you go see a psychiatrist and get help kind of a deal because of his bipolar thing but back then it wasn't treated the same as it no is they now. were treating what manic depression manic depression yeah and I don't know if I said this in the first thing but he was prescribed lithium for that which is crazy. I mean, they prescribe that for PTSD and, like, people who have some serious mental issues going on. The thing about it was, though, is he was prescribed it, but according to reports, he wasn't actually taking it. Taking it. But he lost his uh, license to fly a plane because he was prescribed it. So he didn't even have a license to drive. To fly? To fly the plane. Dang. Um, So in the reports, obviously, he's marked as being manic depressive. They also said the whole adolescent thing, like he acts like a child and throws temper tantrums and thinks that you have to get revenge on people. And they also label him as a kleptomaniac. This, the kleptomaniac thing, made Glenn have like an aha moment he's like okay well if he's a klepto like i want to know if any surrounding areas near anchorage have had any cabin robberies by plane he just was like i wonder if this dude is robbing cabins on top of killing women alaska is the weirdest place (laughs) Robbery via airplane. Yeah. That sounds intense. That is just not so. And not quiet. Well, if no, because a lot of these cabins were just used for hunting. They weren't used as like residences. They were used as hunting lodges and like vacation homes. And he had told Cindy, I'm going to take you to my cabin. Oh, was he killing? Was but he as trying far to... as anyone can that I have seen, he didn't actually own a cabin. So he was threatening to take her to someone else's cabin. I think that's what he was doing. Yes, it doesn't like f- nothing flat out says that, but that's how it makes it seem. And I think that's when Glenn was trying to find out, like, does he have a cabin? Like, where's this cabin? And he couldn't find one. That made him think, like, 
is this dude robbing cabins as well in his plane? But he also asked all these other agencies if they had any missing persons cases or strange murders in the past 12 years. Right, anything that would fit the right. profile of what this guy is doing. And he's the one who like paid the most attention to the fact that Hansen had a lot of trophies and a lot of high rankings in record books for his animals that he had killed. Yeah, I was wondering earlier, the thought had come across my mind, is he keeping trophies from these women that he's treating as game? You will find out. Okie dokie. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's mounting heads on the wall or anything. No. No, but I feel like there's no way he's not keeping something. Yeah. I mean, if he's a hunter, he's got to be keeping something. Well, Glenn finally got to talk to Cindy. He finally found her. He actually, like, you know how they have, like, the informant cops that, like, stay on the street and they deal with, like, drugs and prostitutes and whatever, Mm -hmm. and they literally, like, live like they do kind of a deal? Right. Well, he, to find her, that's what he did. He went to one of these cops and... This cop took him to all of these crazy places looking for her until they found her. And she, again, was super cooperative. She told him the entire story. And it, like, made him believe her so much that he convinced the his, like, commanding officer to put 24-hour surve- surveillance on Hansen. While he tried to create a case against him. Because he was like, he did this to this girl. He's, it's not going to just stop with this girl. So he needs to be watched. Good. Well, on September 28th, 1983, the second body that they had found on the, I don't, some people call it the Knick River and other people call it the Nick River. So either way, she was identified. Her name was Paula Golding. She was 31 years old, and she was from Kana, Hawaii. She had been reported missing in April of 1983, so she had been there from April till September. Um, Her friend reported her missing. Uh, She was a dancer at the Great Great Alaska Bush Company, which... Again, that's the name of the strip club? That's the name of the strip club. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm that's telling fan- you. That's fantastic. They knew how to name strip clubs. They were good at it. The friend told police when she disappeared that she had met a man at the Bush Company, and he offered her $200 just to meet him for lunch, but that he told her she had to specifically show up in a cab. So she did. On April 24th, Paula called a cab and left to meet this man. Her friend had not seen her since. At the same time, Paula was identified. The FBI report came back that both the two two three caliber shell casings found near the bodies were from the same gun. And the report also said that one of the casings was from a reloaded cartridge, which... He has all the stuff for it. He right. has all the stuff for it. And, and they found it when they were checking out his house, right? right? And Glenn knew that from the re- police report. 
They also said that the weapon, if the weapon could be found, that the casings could definitely be matched to it. Well, yeah, because we we know that each gun has its own identifiers when a bullet is fired from it. Right. And Dad did say, like, back then, it wasn't as easy. Oh, to, like, find that that gun's fingerprint, basically? So all of this information made Glenn glad that he finally had proof that the two murders were linked because every... But uh, every other police officer was just like, oh, I don't know. And like telling him he was full of it, kind of. Wait, you said, you said, dad said back then it wasn't, are you, are you referring to your gun expert? Yes, (laughs) I am referring to my gun expert. (laughs) That is my gun expert, people, my dad. He is a gun expert. Pretty good one. Yep. So at this point. Glenn's list of victims went from seven to 22 names. Oh, whoa. He was not completely certain about all of them, but he was determined to figure it out. And that escalated quickly? Yeah, it did, because it was only like a matter of weeks. That oh, it went, seriously? Yeah, that it went from seven women to 22 women. It was literally just like two or three weeks. Good for him. He, I mean... Everything that I've read about him, he was freaking eating, sleeping, and breathing this case. Like he, dude's a badass. Wanted to, he is a badass. Put Robert Hansen in jail. Good so, with a stroke of luck, Glenn found a report from the APD where Hansen had reported a burglary at his own home, and Hansen reported that thirteen thousand dollars worth of his trophy mounts and furs had been stolen from him. And because of this, he received a check for $13,000 from the insurance company a couple months later. And Hansen had used that money to buy his plane. Oh. So basically, Hansen stole his own furs and trophies and then collected money. Yeah, pretty much Glenn was like... Made a false claim. Yeah. Well, Glenn felt like he had committed insurance fraud. Right. And decided... To try to get Hansen on that charge and the kidnapping of Cindy to get him off the street. Like he I mean that makes sense. He wanted him behind bars for something be- while he was trying to put all of this together. Right. And it makes he sense. because one of his superior officers had always told Glenn that people don't confess in the street. So they had like this thing where they were like, if you could get him arrested, you're more likely to get him to confess. Right. So he tried to do everything he could to get a search warrant for Hanson's property. Like he wanted another search warrant. Well, they didn't have a search warrant the first time. He voluntarily let them search his property. Right. And even though Glenn was completely prepared to present this case to the DA, like... He was prepared. He had a wall size list of all 22 missing women, and on the list included their background information, time charts linking some of the incidents to Hansen directly. For example, 
he Hansen was known to be in Seaward, Alaska on the 4th of July in both 1973 and 75 because of parole records. And on June 7th, 1973, a woman named Megan Emmerich was reported missing in Seaward. And on July 5th of 1975, a woman named Mary Kay Phil was reported missing there. So both days that he was in town. Yeah, both weekends he was there. In two different years, two different women went missing. So the DA, though, denied Glenn's request for the search warrant because he said it had been three months since Cindy's incident. It's not been three months since Hansen's been working this case, but it's been three months since Cindy's incident. And the DA was like, I've already said nobody's going to believe her. And the case is stalled and you need to just let it go pretty much. Can't he go to a judge and get that overruled? They, ha- they need a DA to write the search warrant and then it goes to the judge to approve it. The DA, they need a district attorney that's willing to write the search warrant. At least that's how it was back then. I don't know how it is now, but back then they had to get, it had to start with the DA's office. Well, he told Glenn pretty much he needed more proof. Okay. All right. I mean. So Glenn decided that he was going to call the FBI in, I'm going to say this so wrong, Quantica, Virginia, I think is how you say that. Quantico? Is it Quantico? I think so. We'll go with you, Bobby. I'm not going to repeat it anymore. Well, Quantico is an FBI headquarter. Okay, then yes. Yeah, that's Quantico. Okay, there you go. So they were the top research lab in the country on serial killers. Mm -hmm. He wanted their help to put together a profile of this killer because he thought if he had a profile, then the DA would take him more seriously. Right. If you've ever watched Mindhunter... I have never watched Mindhunter. Watch Mindhunter. It's about how they started the whole program for profiling serial killers. Yeah. And they talk about Ed Kemper and all of these different guys, like, through the whole thing. It's fantastic. Okay. But they were based in Quantico mm-hmm. while they were starting it and well, getting yeah, it all going Well, yeah, because they say this, the two FBI agents that helped... Glenn were like the two, because I listened to this on what's the garage show you told me to do? Oh, the true crime garage. Yeah, I, I listened guys. to them, and they said that these two FBI agents are the Mine Hunter FBI yeah. agents. Yeah, it's you actually a really Mind good Hunter, show. And they they said it. that they think that Robert Hansen will be the next one on Mine Hunter because they helped make his profile. It wouldn't shock me if he's on there. So when he called the FBI, um, he spoke to Roy Hazelwood, and Glenn was telling him about Hanson, and Roy, like, stopped him and was like, don't tell me any more about the guy. Tell me about the crime scene. Right. So Glenn answered with, it was remote locations, victims were buried in shallow graves, they were killed with a high-power rifle, sexually assaulted, but found with their clothes on, 
And Glenn also told him, you know, that they were either exotic dancers or prostitutes. So after, like, just a second, Roy said, I would say your guy is probably an avid hunter and an outdoorsman. I would not be surprised if his wife was very religious and more likely she had no idea that he was even killing women. He guessed that the man was between the ages of 33 and 44 years old and a prominent member of the community, and he may own his own business. So pretty much Glenn was like, uh, yeah, that's Robert Hanson. Damn. And he asked if they could send someone pretty much to help him arrest Hanson. He's like, I don't know what else to do. I know this guy is a serial killer. I need help. So he told Glenn to go to the local FBI agent and just put in a request to have one of them sent there or have FBI agents from this lab sent there. And he literally went that same day. Heck yeah. The hell yeah. Um, the big thing is he wanted an official profile from the FBI on their serial killer. And he also wanted to know things like what he should be looking for when he finally gets his search warrant because he's never hunted a serial killer before. Right. He wants to know, he wants to make sure he doesn't do anything that Hanson could use to get out of trouble. Right. Make sure everything is on point. There's no tainted evidence. Yeah. He can't weasel his way out of this one. Right. So Glenn started gathering evidence about the insurance fraud as well. And he received pictures from the insurance company from before and after the items were stolen. Um, And during this time, the two FBI, FBI agents came from Virginia. Like, they showed up on October 11th, 1983, which is, again, only like a week after he requested them. Right. Glenn also interviewed another woman who said Hansen had pulled a 337 Magnum on her and forced her to take her clothes off. He then tied her up with guitar wire, put her in the camper part of his truck, and she managed to get herself free from the wire. And when Hansen noticed, he pulled the truck over and, like, came around to the back of the truck with this gun. But she climbed through the window of the cab and locked the doors so he couldn't get back in. Well, pissed, he literally shot the or, like, punched the window out of his driver's side window to get to her. But she jumped out of the passenger side door and ran naked to the closest house. And she was like another one that they didn't take seriously because she was a prostitute. That's so crazy to me because you have multiple women that are literally handing him to you, like IDing him like that. That is the guy. Right. And she agreed. And they're like, yeah, but you're a prostitute. So I feel bad about the guitar wire. That shit hurts. Yeah, I bet it would. She, uh, like, he was trying to get, she was, she, Glenn was trying to get as many 
of these prostitutes to come forward as possible that he had done things to but had let go or had right. had gotten away because some of them he's he very did, sloppy yeah he is and some of them he did let go willingly like the robin girl he let her go so he also re-interviewed the man that picked up cindy on june 13th when she had escaped from hansen he interviewed the clerk from the motel that she had run into screaming. Glenn got another stroke of luck when someone put him in touch with a doctor that told him his cabin and the cabins of two other men near, like, not near. So two other, this doctor and two other men, their cabins had been burglarized. Oh. And the person who had done this had been in a plane. When police had stopped their investigation of the case because they acted like there was no evidence. evidence. Yeah. These three men had decided to figure it out themselves who oh, did damn. this to them. And when it had happened, it was wintertime, and whoever did it left, like, ski marks in the snow from the plane. Like, you know how they, like... Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was a very unique pattern so they took pictures detectives and the men split up the airports in the area and went searching for the plane that matched those tracks oh damn (laughs) nice and there out of six airports there was only one plane that robert hansen robert hansen's shocker one of them one of these three men actually knew hansen from the bow hunting association and he hated him well with good reason but he hated him not for the burglary he hated him because he said hansen was a cheater and that at least one of his world records was false because he said that it was clear that the animal had been shot in the antler with a bullet uh, and this is a bow uh, hunting mm-hmm. record, but John Summerall, you know, one of the dudes who had given him an alibi with Cindy, swore that he was with Hansen when he shot this animal with a bow. So Hansen won the world record. Isn't that illegal? What? To give false alibis and things. Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought. I wouldn't do that for anybody. Fuck off. Yeah, it's illegal. This tip led Glenn to another man that said he'd been in Hansen's house within the past week and seen all the trophies he claimed were stolen. And this man told Glenn he could verify what trophies were still there from pictures. So things were starting to add up against him. Ruh-roh. The FBI agents gave Glenn the official profile and told him when he gets his search warrant to look for a murder kit, but more, f- like, f- disguises. Like, he t- they told him that it would have, like, wigs and fake mustaches and, like, things like that to try to disguise what he looked like. Right. They also told him to look for things like jewelry, driver's license, and clothing from the victims because... They said he would probably keep these things really close to him, but hidden somewhere. Like in the walls? Because they said 
he most definitely is going to keep a trophy because he's a hunter and they keep trophies. Right. Or like under his side of the mattress. We'll see. Glenn took this information and went back to the DA for a meeting. It took him some convincing still. But finally, the DA agreed to give him a lawyer to help write his search warrant. And this time, police would be at Hanson's home, his bakery, searching his airplane and his cars all at the same time. Oh, damn. Plus, pick him up and have him at the police station while this is happening. (laughs) Nice. So they picked Hanson up at his bakery that morning at 8 a.m., When he was taken into the interrogation room, Glenn had prepared the interrogation room beforehand. So he wanted Hanson to sweat in this room before they even started questioning him. So there were piles of folders on the table. One said Fish and Game Association. Another was opened with a picture of his wife stuck to the inside. There was pictures of some of the victims facing him when he sat down. They also put a map of the Nick River area on the wall with a giant red circle and two X's where the bodies were found. Oh, damn. They let, so they were shoving all of the evidence in yeah. his face. And they let him sit in there for 15 minutes alone before they even went in to talk to him. Did he flip the pictures? I don't know. It didn't say. But pretty much during the interview with Glenn and another detective that we're going to say, his well, his name is Daryl, but I couldn't pronounce his last name, so we're going to call him Daryl. Hansen said that every woman that claimed he had raped them were freaking liars. He claimed that when he would pick them up, a price would be agreed upon between them, but then afterwards these women would demand more money, and when he would refuse, they would say he raped them. He told the officers he would never do such a thing, ever. He was a married man. But you're picking up prostitutes, dude. Yeah, and he is quoted of saying previously to cops mm-hmm. that they were How worth- do you rape a prostitute? They're prostitutes. Correct. Right. So they asked him a lot of fucking questions. They he just avoided giving answers for the most part. And after 6 hours of questioning, he asked to speak to his attorney. I'm surprised it took that long to be honest. Right. Same. So Obviously, that meant no more questioning. The interview was over. They took him to uh, a doctor's office first, though, to get blood and hair samples. And they photographed every inch of his naked body. And then they took him to in front of a judge to be charged. He was charged with rape and kidnapping of Cindy, finally. He was found, he was, holy cow, oh, his, I don't know what the hell just happened. His bond was set at $500,000. So Glenn hoped that he, this would keep him in jail. Right. While they search everything. Because they couldn't technically charge him with the insurance fraud yet because they're searching 
for that right. evidence right. currently. Right. Um, cops searching the bakery only seized banking records. They f- didn't really find anything else, so he wasn't doing sketchy shit at the bakery. After searching the entire house, they were coming up empty-handed. Yeah, they found a lot of guns, but they're looking for a specific gun. Right. They're looking for that Mini-14, and they're looking for, like, items that belong to these women. Right. They f- they're finding all of the trophies, and they can definitely get him on the insurance fraud. But Which is good. Literally ransacked his whole house and aren't finding much of anything else and he had told them that the gun was in his house but then he changed his mind and told them that the gun was in his boat because yeah he also has a boat but they couldn't search his boat because they didn't have a search warrant for his boat so they had to stop what they were fucking doing and go get the search warrant amended to search the boat but it wasn't in the boat either he lied about that so they were also looking for things that could connect him to these cabin burgul- burglaries. I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> burglaries. So there was, there was only one last place to look at this point. The and plane? No, they searched the plane. It was completely clean. Oh. His hunting I, cabin? No. Can I take a guess? Is it in the, the heads of these animals that he killed? No, it's not. Uh, the last place they had to look was the attic of his house, but it wasn't an actual attic. It was more of just like a crawl space kind of a deal. Yeah. Like, you know, where you can't stand up in there, you literally have to stay on your hand and hands and knees. And when you get like if the walls are like vaulted or whatever, it gets narrower towards the sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the, the pitch of the roof. Yeah. Whenever it gets... Closer right, to like in wherever the, you are, it just, you know. Gets smaller and smaller. So yeah. to, to search that area, you would literally have to do it on your stomach right. kind of a deal. So an officer, uh, like, volunteered to go up there, even though they say he was allergic to everything known to man. But he was like, I don't freaking care. I'll be the one to go up there. I don't know if he was the smallest one or what. But brave soul. It's just a spot full of insulation, so you're going to yeah. be itching and sneezing and whatever. Well, he went up there willingly and crawled on his hands and knees along the wooden beams and was sticking his hands inside this insulation for the whole square footage of this home because it covered the whole square footage damn and the very last corner that he searched in this house he which was towards the entrance of where he went into the attic he because he crawled all the way to the back and then came like circled around front and it was way back to where it was literally in the front in the corner so to even get to it he had to lay on his stomach to search that part of the insulation and like reach as far as he could reach. And once he did the insulation, he felt and was like, oh, wait, this isn't as thick as the rest of this insulation has been. It felt hollowed out. So he stuck his hand in there and he hit the mother load. He found a 22 caliber Remington 552 rifle, a Thomas Contender 
seven millimeter single shot pistol. He found an aviation map with marks on it. He found jewelry, newspaper clippings, a Winchester 12 gauge shotgun, but the best of all, he found a 223 caliber mini 14. Oh shit. Got him. It took it had taken them 14 hours of searching his home to finally find what they needed to convict him. And that is the end of part two. Holy shit. I will say that also uh. during the search, they found another aviation map stuck behind his headboard of his waterbed. Oh, my this God. This man had a waterbed. Water yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It was stuck behind the headboard of the waterbed, and it was pretty much a, I, it was like the same situation. It had these X marks all over it, too. Hmm. Oh, my God. Like places where he dumped people, potentially. Or where they got shot. That's 100% what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I figured he had to have been keeping something. Yeah, and he was hiding it in his attic, uh, inside all the insulation in the corner of the I was close about under the mattress, though. Yeah. I was close. (laughs) I didn't know he had a flipping waterbed. (laughs) That would have been impressive. Yeah. He put it in a bottle and like shoved it into Into the the water. Yeah. Like a message in a bottle. That would suck if you accidentally laid on that though. You'd have to push that thing all over the place. Yeah. So that's where we're at, guys. Hopefully next time we'll be done with this man because I'm done with this man. Because he's. (laughs) Yeah, he's a piece of work. He's a piece of shit. And I'm done. I feel like thinking about him for the past two weeks has fucked with my head because he's a piece of shit. And he's he's so fucking sloppy. Oh, yeah, he is. And I will tell you, like, they, I'll add this right here before we end. They extensively interviewed Darla, his wife, and she had no fucking clue. Which is so surprising to me. She had no clue. How well he managed to keep it from her, unless no offense to her, unless she was just that naive. No, she literally was just that obsessed with loving him. It was, it, she was just that religious. It wasn't even about loving him because I don't even think she really loved him at that point. It was more of a, I have this duty because of my religion. Because the cops asked her at one point, What are you going to do when we pin this on him and he goes to prison? forever how are you gonna afford to take care of your family because they were trying to get her to like talk say something right and she's like what are you talking about i've always taken care of the house and my kids and they're like you don't get money from him and she's like no it's been my responsibility to take care of the kids and the house so he wasn't even helping her fucking financially and they found bags and bags and bags of money hidden in his house from his bakery because he was also committing tax fraud. Oh, my. Of course. Bags of money hidden what in the walls. Idiot. Oh, my gosh, this guy. <laughs> oh, him and Audrey should be best friends. <sighs> I mean, they were right around the same time. <sighs> they would have been a match made in heaven. Yeah, they would. She could have spent all his money. 
All right. Well, if you like that episode, let us know. Have on wherever you're listening to this. Give us five stars. Give us a review. Share it with your friends. Um, like I said at the beginning, check out our Instagram, Missing Murdered Haunted on Instagram, Missing Murdered Haunted Podcast on Facebook, and uh, Missing Murdered Haunted at gmail.com if you have case suggestions or just want to send us nice little notes about how much you enjoy the show. Anyone have anything they'd like to add in? Nope. No. No. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. 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 Bye.